0: Is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Visit their showrooms in Omaha and Lincoln, or online at Pella Omaha. Com and the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Shoot360 Lincoln. Pretty cool coverage. Shoot360 Lincoln got on BTN during the Nebraska-Wisconsin game. Was pretty proud of that. Shoot360 is a membership-based basketball training facility. We specialize in the skills of shooting, passing, and ball handling. You can set up your free one-hour workout and become a member by visiting Shoot360.com backslash Lincoln or give us a call at 531 500 0588. That is 531 500 0588. Okay. Apologize if my voice starts to wane as this pod progresses. Got a little, uh, little throat thing going on. I'm trying to battle through. Had some tea and some honey, but bear with me. I am uh, taping this. It's Sunday, it's February 4th. It's about 9 o'clock at night here, and Nebraska just lost on the road at Illinois in overtime, and so I'll begin the conversation there for for this pod. You got some Nebraska thoughts and, and some Creighton thoughts on the basketball side of things, and we're going to be out of here. Uh, but Nebraska erased a 10-point deficit with under four minutes left at Illinois, actually took the lead on a rink mass jump hook with about five seconds left, but then C.J. Wilcher fouled Marcus Domask, and he went one for two from the line to send it into overtime. And Nebraska lost 87-84. to Nebraska did have a chance late. They had the ball down two in overtime. Overtime ran a a high pick and pop with Tominaga and Mast. And I actually thought, man, I might have to look at the, the clip again. But I thought Rink Mast could have gotten the three off quickly, even with Terrence Shannon closing on him. But he had to be kind of ready to be locked and loaded. But Mass, who doesn't have a super quick release, he didn't let it fly. He shot faked. He got it stripped, turned it over. Shannon made one free throw, and that was the ballgame. So Nebraska puts a bow on what was a pretty eventful week. They had uh, The Huskers had an incredible comeback on Thursday night inside Pinnacle Bank Arena against Wisconsin. Down 19 points. Come all the way back. They fight and scrap and claw their way and win the game in overtime over the Badgers, the sixth-ranked team in the country uh, at the time. And I was on the call for that game. It was incredible, the atmosphere, the comeback, the scene on the floor afterwards with the fans rushing the court. I got to interview Fred Hoiberg and C.J. Wilcher on the floor after the game, and that was just – it was really, really special to be a part of and be on the call for. And it was a big win for Nebraska, who got punched in the mouth early again, got down 19 points, looked dead in the water from my vantage point, I I know I felt like at half that game was done. Nebraska found a a a lineup in that second half that was that was clicking and fighting, and C.J. Wilcher got hot, twenty-two points off the bench for Wilcher, who I think is in the in the driver's seat to be the Big Ten six Man of the Year. Uh, and and that lineup that was clicking was Hoiberg, Wilcher, Bryce Williams, Jawan Gary, and Josiah Alec. That five kind of got Nebraska back into the game. And then I thought Fred Hoiberg pressed a lot of the right buttons throughout that second half, finding the right combination of guys, whether it was that five guys or, or coming back to rink mass late when he needed some big shots and mass delivered. And that is the beauty of having a bench and having some depth because it gives you options for your lineups and when your starters kind of just don't have it. And Tomanaga struggled. Mast was, was a little off early. Lawrence continues to struggle. But it was the lineup with three bench guys of Gary Wilcher and Hoiberg that changed the game. And I did think Wisconsin got a little relaxed in that second half that they lost their poise and focus and credit Nebraska for taking advantage. And Nebraska notched another huge resume-boosting win for the season. Nebraska has now knocked off the number one team in the country in Purdue and the number six team in the country at the time in Wisconsin at home. But – Nebraska obviously is still searching for their first win on the road in Big Ten play. And even though that sentence is still true, and Nebraska is still 0 for in in the Big Ten on the road, I feel way better about things today than I did a week ago for Nebraska. And I, I do, I hate to play the moral victory card, but there are some positives to take away from, from not only this week, but that loss at Illinois. I thought the fight and physicality and competing, all that was like where it needed to be. And and all those things were themes from Fred Hoiberg throughout the week. Talking to him at shoot around before that Wisconsin game, he told me they got after it big time in practice the three days leading up to that Wisconsin game. He, he just voiced that too many times he's seen on the road when things get tough and adversity strikes with this team and they get punched in the mouth, they've. They've just kind of wilted, and they go away, and they don't punch back. But this week, that changed. They got punched pretty damn good by Wisconsin, got down 19, fought back, punched back, won. Played a great first half at Illinois, got punched in the mouth for the first 15 minutes of the second half, pretty darn good, but fought back, punched back, forced overtime, lost, but they still fought. There's nothing If you're not going to fight, nothing matters. And so, in what was arguably their hardest road game so far, that or Wisconsin, in what was arguably their hardest road game so far at Illinois, Nebraska fought and competed and had a chance to win. And I had someone tweet at me after the game, Nick, Nebraska's going to win a Big Ten game on the road, right? And my answer was, if they compete and fight like that, they will. If they take that level of fight, that level of competitiveness, that grit, that togetherness, and they go on the road to Bloomington and they go on the road uh, to Columbus, Ohio, and into to, to Ann Arbor, they're going to win those games. They're going to win some of those games. If Nebraska simply packs that level of fight when they go on the road in this final month or so, they're gonna they're gonna win a couple of games at Northwestern. Gonna be tough at Indiana. The Hoosiers just gave up a double-digit lead and a collapse at home to Penn State. The Hoosiers are reeling. Ohio State lost to Iowa at home over the weekend. And Michigan had the collapse of the weekend, giving up a 15-point lead to Rutgers in the second half and losing by 10. Michigan led 47-32 to with 17 minutes left and lost by 10. 25-point swing. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it. There there are going to be some pretty there are going to be some decent opportunities for Nebraska to win some some games against some some wounded teams down the stretch. Now, at the same time, those are the kinds of games that, like, if you lose, the committee's not going to be like, ooh, boy. Like, you lose at Illinois, the committee's not like, oh, well, that's not a good loss. But you go lose at Michigan at the end of the year with the way they're playing, they're going to be like, oh, boy, that's not good. So, But there's, there's going to be, not to go all Scott Frost on you, everybody, but there's going to be some winnable games for Nebraska on the road. But nevertheless, Nebraska has to go do it. And it's funny, I was talking to someone this weekend. We were talking about Nebraska. We were talking about their at-large situation, their bubble situation. And I I, I asked him, I said, man, this was after they beat Wisconsin. I said, if, if Nebraska just wins their home games for the rest of this year, they're they're in, right? And this person looked at me and said, no, ha. He said, Nick, how can a team go 0 on the road in conference play and get into the NCAA tournament? And when you say it out loud and kind of put it like that, they may be right. But I don't know. I mean, can a power conference team that ends the regular season with 20 wins, including wins over number one Purdue and number six Wisconsin at the time, but goes 0-10 on the road in conference play, can that team still get in the tournament? Man, I don't want to find out the answer to that question, and I don't think we're gonna we're we're gonna need to find the, the answer to that question. I don't think I don't think that's gonna to come to pass because I think Nebraska is gonna win some of these these conference road games, but they better they better because you never want to leave it in the hands of the committee, and you never want to give them any reason to leave you out. And going over on the road in conference play, that's given the committee a reason. Last few thoughts with Nebraska, then I'll get to Creed. Uh Good to see Tominaga finally break out of his slump. After three straight games without double figures and basically getting benched against Wisconsin, Tominaga erupted at Illinois, career-high 31 points. and Maybe this will kind of get his motor going again. It was funny. I, I went on the BTN studio show uh, with Mike Hall and Robbie Hummel uh, before the Wisconsin game, and they asked me about Tominaga struggling and what, what am I seeing with him, and my answer was, you know, sometimes when you are so talented, you can get lazy. And I, I was seeing that a little bit with Tomanaga. Like, he can make such tough shots. He can make those 27, 28-foot fadeaway guy-in-your-face threes. But I thought he was just settling for nothing but those kinds of tough shots of late. He had a – I thought another thing I, that was interesting is he had zero free-throw attempts for three straight games. But then at Illinois, he had eight free-throw attempts. And oftentimes, free-throw attempts are your are a barometer for your aggressiveness to try to get into the paint, get some easier shots around the rim. Also a barometer for your movement off the ball. He got some easier shots at the rim, especially early in that Illinois game. He got fouled, he got to the free-throw line, and it opened up the deep bomb threes he can hit. So that's good to see. I mean, when we think about Tominaga's run at the end of last season where he averaged 20 points per game for the final nine games we, we we think of a lot of the bomb threes but he got a lot of layups too he was getting a lot of backdoor cut layups good movement off the ball layups getting fouled getting to the free throw line like he was getting some easier shots too so we'll see if if this gets Tominaga back rolling the other thing, uh, Bryce Williams was playing a little point guard the last two games. Just something to watch as this last month progresses. What is Fred Hoiberg going to do with that point guard position? I mean, Jamarcus Lawrence is just not, not producing a ton. You kind of go, okay, can Sam Hoiberg play some extended crunch time point guard? I don't know. Or does, he, does Hoiberg need to let Bryce Williams and Rick Mass kind of tag team that point guard spot at times? Be interesting to see. Another thought, it's a Captain Obvious thought, but man, Jawan Gary makes a huge difference, doesn't he? was huge to get him back. He was really good in the Wisconsin comeback, scoring nine points off the bench, was good in the rotations and fight defensively. He had a double-double at Illinois, 12 points, 11 rebounds. Bottom line, Jawan Gary is Nebraska's toughest player. To win on the road, you need toughness. To win in the dog days of February, you need toughness. To win in March, you need toughness. They need Jawan Gary. So there you go. The roller coaster of Nebraska basketball season here continues. I thought this was a big week for Nebraska in a positive way. They got Jawan Gary back in into the onto the floor. They beat Wisconsin. Another court storm. Another great moment. Then showed the you know, the fight and the grit and the toughness on the road, even in a loss. Now Nebraska's got to keep it going. They got to keep it going which is sometimes easier said than done, especially for Nebraska. Let's shift to, to Creighton. So, man, like I said, I was on the call on Thursday night for Nebraska-Wisconsin. You know, I come home. I could hardly fall asleep. I was so wound up for the game, right? And, and you know, alarm hits, getting ready to, to head to Omaha to do Creighton on Friday. And, you know, I'm... I'm I'm walking into the, the arena, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, man, I don't see how anything could top the game that I just had with Nebraska and Wisconsin. Nothing could top that game, right? And, man, that Creighton-Butler game was almost just as nuts. In one of the crazier games I've called all year, Butler goes into Omaha, into the CHI Health Center, beats Creighton 99-98. to 98. Say it out loud. Creighton scored 98 points at home and lost. I Never in a million years did I think that would happen with this team, but it did. Butler came into Omaha, put up 99 points, shot 55% from the floor. Wild, wild game. Creighton scored 98 points, shot 54% from the floor, had four guys score 20 or more points. Shireman, Ashworth each had 26 Alexander at 22, Kalkbrenner at 20, and they still lost. Crazy. Neither team could stop the other. Like, it became pretty clear, and like late in the first half and in the early part of the second half, that this was going to be a first one to 90, first one to 100 wins kind of a game. And being on the call on on TV for this one, for that game, at one point on the air, my play-by-play partner, Connor Onion, Asked me, Nick, is this good offense or bad defense? And my answer was, I thought it was more so good offense than bad defense. I've called, I mean, I don't even know, 30-plus games already this year. I've called Big 12 games, KU games. I've called Mountain West games. I've called Big 10 games. I've called Big East games. I mean, I haven't called a game all year with that level of shot-making both ways. Sure, were there things here and there that each team could have done better or differently on defense? Of course, but that's every game. Was that maybe a little surprise that neither team really mixed it up in terms of, I don't know, changing defenses, switching up their coverages a little bit? But for the most part, that game was this high-level offense being played. The reality is this. I say it all the time. It's one of the true statements in, in basketball. Good offense beats good defense every day of the week. And I thought that was exemplified in that game. couple of, of thoughts specific to that Creighton-Butler game. If you do want to talk mistakes for Creighton, I think you could look at three plays. Ashworth, maybe going two or three seconds too early at the end of the first half, holding for the last shot, shooting a three off the ball screen, Missing it, which led to a run-out kick-ahead three for Butler at the buzzer. That's one. Then Creighton fouled two three-point shooters in the second half. And I'm pretty sure Butler went six for six at the free throw line for those two three-point jump shot fouls. So that's the other two. That's nine points right there. But I thought arguably the biggest X factor in in the game was five threes between two unlikely players for Butler. Finley Bizjak, Bowden Kapke, two freshmen for Butler. On the season, Bizjak was nine for 44 from three heading into the game, 20%. Nine for 44. Only made nine threes all year. He went three for three from three against Creighton. Bowden Kapke, five man, stretch four, stretch five. He was three for eight from three on the whole year. He had taken eight threes all year. He had only made three all year. He went two for three from three against Creighton. So five combined threes between those two guys, just enormous. So I look at like, okay, five threes between those two guys. Creighton fouls two three-point shooters. You, you let Bizjack get get a, a, a late heave up at the end of the first half when you could have had the last shot. Like, all those things add up. The other thing that was interesting, so I'm a Posh Alexander fan, Butler's point guard, but in some ways, him not playing for Butler. He missed that game with a foot injury. Almost helped Butler offensively because Posh is not a good three-point shooter. And as weird as this sounds, Posh Alexander being out and then Jalen Thomas, Butler's five-man, getting into foul trouble made Butler harder to guard for Creighton because now Landon Moore and Bowden Kapke are on the floor They shoot the three ball better than than Posh Alexander and Jalen Thomas. So all of a sudden, Creighton, who loves to plug the lane and pick guys to help off of, they couldn't really help anywhere. And because of that, it really put a lot of onus and a lot of pressure on on Creighton's ability to guard the ball. And Creighton had a hard time guarding the ball, guarding simple actions. Butler ran some simple actions over and over. They were trying to get some switches into mismatches, or they were just isolating and attacking. I thought Creighton's lack of size on the wing hurt them in this game. You look at Shireman, he's he's got good size, six, 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 seven, but he's not a he's not super duper, you know, big broad shoulders. He's not a great athlete, although he did have two poster dunks in that game. But he's not, you know, I mean, Baylor Shireman's not like a, you know, a big, strong athlete. Trey Alexander's a skinny, wiry 6'4". And Butler's two wings, Jamil Telford and Pierre Brooks, are built like linebackers. They're built like football players. And I thought Creighton had a hard time defending those two guys. And I thought it was the strength. But man, Creighton still, you know, they almost still squeaked that game out, though. Some interesting strategy stuff. I mean, that final minute, final 20 seconds or whatever took like 20 minutes Butler fouled up three twice but then turned the ball over twice trying to get it in late in the game Trey Alexander got two really good clean looks from three in the same possession and missed them both and then after another turnover forced Trey Alexander had the ball in the right elbow a little isolation for him to attack Pierre Brooks off the dribble and Trey Alexander dribbled it off his foot with under 10 seconds left. So, I mean, J- Creighton had their chances. Butler Butler missed a front end. Butler uh, turned it over twice. Like, Creighton had their chances. Just unfortunate for, for, for Alexander, who's made some clutch plays this year. Two free throws to win the St. John's game. Big shots in triple overtime at Seton Hall. Big shots late against Providence. But he's had some missed opportunities as well. Nova at home, had a chance to win it, didn't. Now Butler at home. He's still Creighton's closer. Now I'd imagine the next time Creighton is in that situation, the ball is going to Trey Alexander. A couple more thoughts. I still feel like Creighton doesn't get Kulkbrenner the ball enough. He did it up with 20 points. He only took eight shots, and Creighton did score 98 points, so I should just shut up about complaining about anything offensively. But, man, I just – I don't know. Basically, the entire team, the entire Creighton team, all the guards, should pull a Bart Simpson and write on the chalkboard over and over, I will get the ball to Kalkbrenner. I will get the ball to Kalkbrenner. I will get the ball to Kalkbrenner. Like, that should be how they start their day. Like, they show up, they they go to the locker room, they, they go to the chalkboard, they write, I will get the ball to Kalkbrenner a hundred times, and they get treatment, and then they get ready to go practice. Got to get that dude the ball, man. More, 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 more. It was good to see Stephen Ashworth break out of his shooting slump last two games. Nine for 17 from three. 17 points against DePaul. 26 against Butler. He just looked like he had his, like, had his confidence back to me. And if Ashworth can start shooting it like that, which is the way he's capable of shooting it, it changes Creighton's team. Because now you got to you had a hard team to guard. Now you got a brutally difficult team to defend with all the shooters surrounding Culver. La- last thoughts, kind of wrap up. And, it- and it's you know it's likely not going to change, but it bears talking about. But a part of the issues defensively in that game, giving up so many points, could have been fatigue for those starters and four main guys: Ashworth, Baylor, Shireman. Trey Alexander, they all played 40 minutes. Never left the floor. Kalkbrenner played 38 minutes. Creighton's bench is a disaster again. Two straight years of having really no bench production. And last year was kind of like explained away in a way that I could kind of understand and agree. It was like, hey, tough schedule. Um, some of those bye games were closer than they thought they would be and the- because of Kalkbrenner getting mono where you couldn't then develop some of the other younger guys. But Creighton had a chance in the offseason to add to its depth and and didn't and now they're in a very similar spot as they as that they were last year and it might be worse a worse spot this year it's it's just it's one of those things with Creighton's bench and depth issues where you can win some battles and by battles I mean individual games but over the course of the season, aka the war, the war could catch up to you. Creighton can easily win games playing those top three, four guys 40 minutes a game. No doubt. They've done that already. But over the course of the season, the grind of it, I th- I I think it could catch up to Creighton a little bit. It just would it would be enormous if Creighton could get something from their bench beyond Farabello. Even Farabello, I think, could, you know, maybe bring a little bit more. Because we know we know Farabella is going to play, you know, twenty to thirty minutes, close out a lot of games on the floor, all that. But man, it would be huge if Crane could get something more, something consistent from Trout or King or someone else from the from the guard spot, like Dotzler. But the reality is, it's hard to expect that now. It's hard to just throw Josiah Dotzler out there in these games now after not giving him minutes and getting his feet wet during the season. And I think kind of Trout is what he is. He's a catch-and-shoot three-point specialist. If he's making them, great. If not, he's probably coming out. And Frederick King's just struggling. So I don't know what the answer is. It's not like you got a bunch of stars sitting on the bench over there, you know, that you're just not playing. And you haven't cultivated that bench to find out what they can do or get them comfortable. And it's hard because I get where Greg McDermott is coming from in the moment of riding those those top players. But again, over the course of the season, I think it definitely has an impact. Not just in legs, but also in like game impact. Look at Nebraska. A part of what helps them is their bench. Their bench can come into games and actually make a big difference. Not just give a guy a, a two-minute break. They can come in and actually win the game, change the game. C.J. Wilcher won Nebraska the Wisconsin game. Sam Hoiberg makes an impact, as does Jawan Gary and some other guys. So it's not just about like saving your legs for your stars. It's also about giving yourself options on the bench to come in and score and change the game's complexion. Creighton just doesn't have that luxury, and it certainly could end up hurting Creighton as this season progresses, but we'll see. Schedule's going to get pretty darn tough now. The road is, is if you look at that schedule, it's it, it, for February, it's not easy, man. Creighton, keep in mind, Creighton has played three of those easy games. Of, they've played DePaul twice and Georgetown once. Those are like the get-right games. You're done with get right into Paul week. You've already played at Georgetown. Things heat up for Creighton. I mean, they got to go at Providence, at Xavier. Still got to go to St. John's, to Nova, to Butler. Got Marquette, Seton Hall, and UConn coming to town. Those are all pretty, pretty damn tough games. I still feel really good about Creighton. I really like how the big three are playing. I think all three of those guys are playing great. And if Ashworth keeps this shooting up, Creighton is in a good spot. So I'm not going to overreact to that Butler loss. Sure, losing at home is frustrating, and you never want to give any game away at home, and I get all that. But I'm not going to overreact to that Butler loss. Could Creighton have done more? Of course. But sometimes you run into a hot team and just plays great. Butler played great, man. They played great. Jamil Telfort, it's the best game he's had all year. Bizdak, Kapke, unbelievable. Pierre Brooks played like a stud. Like they, they, they played great. That team's pretty good. That team's on the bubble. That team could get in the NCAA tournament. That team won at Marquette. That team beat Texas Tech. Like that, that it's not a bad Butler team. So, to me, I think you got to kind of just tip your cap to them and turn the page. That's what I'm doing, and I suggest you do the same. A heard at Sports Network production.